And welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And guys, we have us another absolute banger of a show. Do kids still use that today, banger? We got a lot to get to today. Not just the Stanley Cup Finals, guys, but the NHL awards have been announced. And there have been some that I agree with and some that I don't like at all. And don't worry, we'll have someone here to help us discuss that early on and also help us discuss the Stanley Cup Finals. Habs not looking too pretty there, guys. Two bagel right now, heading up to Montreal for Game 3 tomorrow night. Also, some coaching stuff to talk about and a trade. We had an off-season maneuver that involved the team getting rid of a player for draft picks and just about nothing else. But before we get to that, we got to thank you, of course, for watching us here on 12 Ounce Sports. And of course, if you're on 12 Ounce Sports, that means you're watching us on Twitter, Facebook, or Zingo TV, channel 761. If you ever want to use the promo code to get on Zingo TV and watch for free, that's 12 Ounce. That's the number one, the number two, the letter O, and the letter Z or Z for you improper English users. And of course, as always, we have to thank our awesome sponsors, including MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code 12 Ounce Sports and sign up for free on MyBookie to win and get paid on MyBookie.ag. And as always, up there in the corner, secondstringleathercompany.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. Guys, they have bath balms now. You can smell good. You don't smell like a goaltender. Don't worry. I tried the stuff. You actually smell pretty okay. The wife likes it. Your significant other will like it too. Get it there on secondstringleather.com. Now, we're starting this one off strong, like I said, kiddies, because we are welcoming back a member of the Five Timers Club here on TKS. He is from... World Hockey Report, who you, where you can catch them right here on 12-Ounce Sports and on your favorite podcatcher as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program back, Cody Jansen. Cody, how are we doing today, man? Doing great, doing great, Taylor. Happy to be here. Hey, thanks for coming on. Of course, I should probably tell all you folks at home, I was actually on World Hockey Report yesterday. Cody Jansen was kind enough to risk the show's reputation by bringing me on for a few minutes yesterday. And as far as we know, the show is okay. No FCC guidelines broken there. But, uh, but Janner, you and I talked yesterday before Game 2 last night. Habs kind of got out-habbed in Game 1. Game 2, though, a much better game out of Montreal. Unfortunately, two bad giveaways. And unfortunately, some guy by the name of Andre Vasilevsky got in the way of the Habs last night. He was phenomenal. That was, you know, just a, a great goaltending performance on, on both ends. And I get it. The goals that they allowed were kind of stinkers. You know, it was a double deflection on Vasilevsky. I think Price wants that first one back as well. But again, it was a great goaltending battle. When you look at Tampa Bay, everyone goes to the shots being like, wow. They only had like 20 shots. That's not that impressive. But their grade-A scoring chances were still up there. So it, it's, a, you know, it's a good series. It was a good game, too. And again, Montreal, if they capitalize on some of those chances, if they get an extra lucky bounce here or there, it's a 1-1 series. Instead, Tampa Bay, you know, they're, they're able to kind of out-hab the Habs, and they're up 2 nothing. Yeah, I mean, look at the shots last night, to your point. They were 43-23 to 23 in favor of the Habitant. And I just remember saying to myself at one point, I looked at the wife, and I'm like, they're out shooting them. I was thinking it was like a 3-1 to one margin in that second period. And I'm like, holy cow, they have this game in hand. And then the Blake Coleman goal. T give us your thoughts on that play. Obviously, it's a great play by Goudreau, a great effort by Coleman deflection. I, and maybe it's just me being a goaltender, and you see it too there, Janner, I see Ben Sherratt's pinch at the blue line. That's what I see on that play. It hurts, obviously, but again, that's one of the best playoff goals we've seen in a decade. True. I put that up there with some of Crosby and Malkins in their prime. Like, that's an incredible effort to dive, to get enough of the puck, to get it on net, but also to put it in a perfect spot where it's over the goaltender's pad. I mean, you're a goaltender as well. How hard is it to make that save? It's tough. You have to slide across. And my, my goalie coach is always like, stay tight. Ever seal everything? Yeah, it's easier said than done, you know, when you're in the, you know, Stanley Cup finals. It's incredibly tough. And when you think about it, you go, oh, man, would have been nice if Carey Price could come up with that huge save. Well, I think we got to, you know, hold the horses here and really give Coleman credit. That's as nice of a goal as they come, and that's as clutch of a goal as they come. It is one of the best goals I've seen, and it's exactly what you expect from a guy like Blake Coleman. It's not going to be fancy all the time. It's not going to be pretty. But again, 
he gets it done, and that's why they gave up. You know what they did for him. That's why Breezewell went all in. Yeah, and they he was a he was a big part of the team last year. Him and of course the guy that gave him that beautiful feed, Goudreau. That's another big part. And there's whispers that they're going to be some pretty hot topics or hot commodities come the off season. But we have to get through this series before we get to there first. But I, I see this series now going back to Montreal and. You know, I talked to the curfew boys on Monday and I said, you know what, guys, if they're able to find a way to win one game, that's perfect. And they're like, yeah, break home ice advantage. That's all they need to do. But now you come back to Montreal where they have done well in the playoffs. Let's not knock that. But it's the fact that you're going down 2-0 to the defending Stanley Cup champions. Home ice or not, Janner, the Habs are in tough right now. I agree. They're obviously in tough. This isn't a place you want to be. Not everyone's the 2011 Bruins. But I'm also not as worried as some people. Everyone's kind of counting them out now, it seems. They're going, no chance you win, you know, for the next five or whatever they have to. I don't see that being the craziest thing in the world. Again, you know, you're going back home. You still haven't lost on home ice. So, hey, if they go and win the next two, everyone's no one's going to remember, you know, them being like, oh, well, they lost the first two. No, just go and win a game at a time. You'll take game three. All of a sudden, you got the momentum. You're still on home ice. Now you got to win one more game, and it's a you know it's a brand new series. So you kind of hit the reset button there. I, I think for Montreal, a big thing is going to say you know how are they going to react to getting Ducharme back again? It sucks they don't have you know at least half capacity fans, so obviously hurts home ice advantage. But again, they are far from out, and you know as well as anyone else. You've got Carey Price in net. I don't think you're ever out of a series completely. Yeah, I saw an article today. I, I kind of skimmed through. I didn't give the full deep read, but Simon says, oh, Carey Price, it was something on Sportsnet along the lines of Carey Price hasn't really stepped up in these in this final. And I'm like, I, and I say, and it's crazy. I know you're starting to laugh, Cody, but here's the thing. He hasn't really had a chance to. Look at yesterday. He had, what was it? I think they got outshot through two periods. Let me have it here. The I thought I had it right in front of me, darn it. But it was they were they only had single digit shots pretty much for the majority of the first two periods of the hockey game. I mean, that's not what Carey Price is used to. He's used to be on the other end, on Vasilevsky's end, like happened last night. Well, hey, I mean, that just shows how dominant the North Division is, is they yeah. can go absolutely embarrass, you know, the the team who's up two nothing in the Stanley Cup final. You know, uh, they controlled the game. They one hundred percent controlled game two. End of the day, you score less, you lose the hockey game. Doesn't matter if it's eight nothing or one nothing. Montreal didn't get it done. Now I think they get a little bit more confidence here, and they're a team that adapts real well. That's one of their strengths: is their mature, veteran-led group that can adapt to anything. They can play any style they have to. Toronto, Winnipeg, Vegas—it doesn't matter. They're going to get it done. That's what they've proven in these playoffs. So now you go back home and Montreal's still feeling fine. They're going, hey, we lost both on the road. That doesn't matter. Win ours at home, and it's still a best of three. They, they, they know they have to win one in Tampa. That's not rocket science. But end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's game five. You know, or I'd say game seven as well. But again, if it's a game seven, you kind of got to win that one. But right. <laughs> you right. get what I'm saying is, yeah. you know, you're not in super big trouble until you lose at home. Go and win a couple of two. You've got them figured out. You got to score on Andre Vasilevsky. That's a big thing. You got to get more traffic in front of them. You do that. I think we could be seeing a new series in, in, you know, Tuesday or after Monday night. Well, I mean, that's a good point because both goals that Vasilevsky has given up so far, one is a double deflection off his own guys. The other one, a soft, the old backhander from the blue line, which I used to do when I played. I think, I think it went off of his own defender there too. Right. I think both of them went off his own defenders. Yeah. They're just the worst bounce. So it's obviously tough to beat him straight on because he's made some real good looking saves, even though, you know, especially last night, game one, maybe not so much, but certainly last night he stood on his head. You, the Canadians, they've been in this spot. They were down 3-1 in round one. Yeah, they've swept Winnipeg, so that's kind of the anomaly here. But they kind of had a rough, tough game against in Vegas against in game one. They came back and obviously won game two. But Lucas Weiss tweeted something yesterday that kind of, dare I say it after the game, put me at ease. And it's going to sound weird, but Nick Suzuki was on that Guelph Storm team that made it to the Memorial Cup back in 2019. That team was down 2-0 to the Ottawa 67s. Or, no, they were down 3-0. They, they were down 2-0 to uh, yeah. the 67s in the final, and they were down 3-0 to 
to London. They were right. They were down 2-0, but they were also down 3-0 against London in the second round series. And I think they were down as well in the in the conference finals against Saginaw. Like, if there's any guy that can get the Habs out of the situation, Janner, it's Nick Suzuki. And I think his game last night, I know it was a fluky goal, but he played a lot better in game two. He had a great game for sure. And he's got the toughest matchup in the world right now. I mean, now going back home, they can get Philip Deneau out there against Kucherov's line. One guy I think can still be an X factor. And yes, Suzuki had a great game. It's Cole Caulfield. He's got the potential to score goals. They need goals. I think that's what it's going to come down to. If he can crack the code and get a couple here, uh, I'm telling you, I don't hate Montreal in this. I, it sounds crazy to think like, oh, you're down 2 nothing. You know, series is pretty much over. Again, I, I really think these games have been closer than the score tells. That's where I say if you can get a couple of goals out of Caulfield, if you can find a way to get Josh Anderson or Toffoli going, just give him a little bit of help. Score two or three. You got a chance to win right there. And obviously clean up a little bit of the mistakes that led to the two big goals, the deciders last night, and also the fact scoring first. We keep pounding it in the ground. They haven't scored first yet this series, but Montreal's got a pretty decent record when they score first 11-2. and two. But I want to get your thoughts here, Jenny. You asked me yesterday. You put me on the spot about the award yesterday. Now I'm going to do the same here to you. And, you know, we we mentioned the the two big ones that I like. Obviously, I don't think anyone's questioning Connor McDavid. And now, granted, was it surprising that it was all 100 votes? Uh, People have gone back and forth on that. But I got to get your take on the Vesna because I told you yesterday on World Hockey Report that I thought it was Vasilevsky all the way through. Flurry gets it. I said deservedly so. He's had a great season, but I still think it could have been Vaz. And you know what? The Norris. Adam Fox wins it, but it's like, okay, let's go on the Vesna track first. Flower finally gets a Vesna. What do you think? Well, yeah, I guess starting with the Vesna there, Flurry deserved it. He had the best regular season. Is he the best goaltender in the NHL? No. Is he the first guy that, you know, any GM's choosing? No. But for regular regular season expectations, Flurry knocked it out of the water. And I think a lot of that is what it comes down to, where Vasilevsky's expected to do what he did. Marc-Andre Flurry isn't. This is a guy who Vegas was trying to pay for teams to take, you know, less than a couple of years ago. So for what Flurry did in the regular season, definitely, definitely impressive on uh, you know, from from my end, from my point of things. Moving over to Adam Fox, this is where it really gets me for the Norris. Is is this just a point competition? Because if it is, just look at the stats, look at the analytics, and you know, take the guy beforehand. Because yep, if this points. is for an all, if this is for an actual defenseman, Tyler, I mean, you've played the game, you know what goes into defending. It's not just about putting up points. That's not all of what it is to be a defenseman. No, to be a defenseman means to do things at both ends of the ice, to be responsible, to play in all situations. Adam Fox doesn't do that. Victor Hedman is the best defenseman in the NHL. He had the best season in the NHL because he is the best. He does it at both ends of the ice. Adam Fox is a fancy player. He's a very, you know, he's got that little bit of razzle-dazzle to his game. He'll put up points. He'll put up good numbers. But, I mean, you're, you're off your rocker if you think that, you know, he was the best defenseman in the NHL this year. Yeah, I was listening to 31 Thoughts the other day about it, and I'll probably touch on this a little bit more, but it's the fact that it's the first time that a Norris Trophy winner has ever won when he, his team didn't make the playoffs. And I think that if you're the best defenseman in the league, you should be able to play on a team that, you know, makes it to the postseason. And especially with the Rangers, I mean, yes, the Rangers are close, but... I still think Adam Fox wasn't the best. There are some people that, you know, they gave the reason why they voted for him, but I'm like, yes, he's a defenseman that scores, but listen, (laughs) if he can't play defense, he can't play defense. It's straight disrespect to the defensive D-men in the league because look at these D-men who got these teams to the final four. None of them were straight, flashy offensive players. Vegas, Montreal, Tampa, the Islanders, Outside of Hedman, I would say he's probably the best offensive D-man out of the four. I'll get it. Petrangelo is great as well. But those guys are so well-rounded defensively that we wouldn't consider them offensive specialists here. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to categorize it as the best defenseman in the NHL, it's a joke to give Adam Fox the Norris, in my opinion. It's just a point competition at this point. Do you think, last question before I let you go here, Janner, do you think they should create an award 
because they're I've seen in other play in other sports they have like offensive defensive awards or whatever. Do you think there should be in the NHL to dis, you know to completely disintegrate this this argue this back and forth argument of is it a points trophy or is it not? Give like there to be an offensive defenseman award compared to because I think they do that in junior hockey. Eh? I think that's what they do in the OHL at least. Do that, and then you can give the Norris actually the best defenseman, i.e. a guy like Mark Giordano, who is not a flashy scorer, but he's a pretty good defenseman. Oh, I think the awards are a joke in the first place, and I think most of the players will tell you about that too. They really don't give a damn about any of the awards. Here's the reason why, and I get it. Say what you want about the Professional Hockey's Writers Association or whatnot. They're great writers. They're great at their jobs. No one cares about their opinion in the voting world. That's, uh, that's as simple as it comes. If it's coming from the Hockey Hall of Fame, look at the people who are voting, you know, or, or, you know, getting the introductions. Look at the people who they're joining with. They really don't care about it. So to expand, I, I, I think that's worse. I say let the players vote. That's what means something. Let the players vote on who they think is the best defenseman. Let them vote on who they think is the best forward, the MVP, the Vezna. That'll give it some credibility, in my opinion, and a lot more than what the NHL is doing right now. I don't know if you saw the first and second team all-star balance, but I mean, that's a joke. It's, it's absolutely embarrassing that those are the players they choose on your first and second all-star teams when, you know, Leon Dreisaitl, clearly one of the best, you know, forwards in the game. Somehow he's not even a second team all-star in the NHL. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, I, I don't know. I've got so many issues with the awards, so I'm glad you teed me up. I hope I don't get you in trouble or anything. But again, oh. they, they gotta fix they gotta fix the system. Don't you worry, Jen. I'll probably get into it there in the second half of the show when I go on Instagram live and make everybody mad and probably break some uh, social media platforms. Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll get on maybe I'll get on with that TikTok guy that they got. Maybe if I if I <laughs> If I put it together, a great opinion there, Tanner. Okay, so are, are you a TikTok guy? Because I posted something about this. I, I don't know anything about this kid, and I just—I mean, we just—it was just straight heat. Like, like I, I know, I know, I said TikTok. something super inappropriate online. Yeah, he well, he dropped the f the haves thing on there. I'm like, okay, and I, I know of TikTok. My brother does his yeah. thing with his girlfriend. My wife likes to watch funny videos, and she insists I watch him. And I was like, you got to get on TikTok if you want to be a social media giant or whatever. And I see, so I'm like, oh, I've been thinking about, it, but I'm like. When the NHL hires this a person I've never heard of before, first of all, I'll make that clear. Like, let's put it this way. I've heard of Jake and Logan Paul before, you know, when they were doing YouTube things and then they became influencers. I've never heard of this person. And he just goes on, like, the first thing he does for the NHL, he drops, he's in a bolt sweater and he drops F the Habs. And I'm like, <laughs> thank God, though, Wes McCauley's not calling the Stanley Cup final. But you know what? We got this TikTok guy here to make everything better. What What is going on? See, I, I've heard of him before, and I mean, he's he's incredibly huge on social media. I mean, he's got millions and millions of followers, so I understand that they need to attract that younger generation of fans. I don't know if this is the right route. Like, I, I'm not so offended by him dropping an F-bomb or, you know, saying whatever he wants about the Habs. That's, that's all funny to me. But at the end of the day, it's like, what are we doing here? You know, is this is this really the guy who's making a difference in the league? Or was this just the easy route being like, hey, we want to get our promotion or our audience out to his 10 million followers. So here's some bucks for him and just go with that. Because I don't I don't know what their end goal is. I don't know. I see what they're doing it wrong, Janner. They should be getting, you know, you guys like, you know, you guys, you guys for World Hockey Report on there. Guys like, you know, we're hardworking guys that do it all the time and that know the game enough. And maybe we can touch the younger fan base and. And other uh, like Slapshot Sweethearts and all those other people. That's what the NHL should invest in. So oh. I, I get I get what you're saying in, in a sense of there's better people out there. But is there better for what they are trying to accomplish? Because for my opinion, the NHL's downfall right now is they can't attract the young audience. The young audience is going elsewhere where there's more personality like the NBA, where there's more attention like the NFL. So the NHL is going, how can we make our boring athletes get more attention? So you go to the community that's got the largest following right now. I think TikTok is one of the biggest platforms. I don't have any facts to back this up, but I think TikTok is one of the biggest things going on right now. And you go, who is a young white male, not to stereotype, but it is to stereotype fully, who can we attract our general audience through at the highest capacity. That's that's a kid, that's a guy like Josh R Richards. 
So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't like the approach, but I also understand it. The NHL is a business. And if they think this is going to make them money, that's what they're going to do. They don't care elsewise. That's true. They 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 want to make their bucks and see how long they can do it for. That's why they're hey. That's why they may not even go back to the Olympics. Hey, there's that talk. About. Oh, that's another time. I we could dive into that for two hours. Oh yeah, we've been talking here with Cody Jansen at Janner thirty one underscore on Twitter at Janner thirty one on Instagram. Follow World Hockey Report at World Hockey RPT on Instagram and Twitter. Check them out, of course, right here on Twelve Ounce Sports or your favorite podcatcher. Janner, it's a pleasure as always. We'll catch you on down the road. Talk to you later, buddy. All right. That was Cody Jansen from World Hockey Report. Always a fun guy to chat with about hockey and obviously, you know, talk about goaltending as well. We'll get to the award stuff. My take here in our bottom of the hour here on 12 Out Sports. And of course, guys, if you just caught the end of the interview and you missed the first half, it's okay. We talked about the Habs and the Bolts, but make sure you check it out, though, later on. Because obviously, this is not going to be an out-of-date episode after the day after the show is done, because Game 3 is tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Friday night hockey on NBC Sport, or no, NBC and CBC, because the Hockey Night in Canada doesn't have to worry about battling with anything else out there in Canada. I mean, there's big stuff going on. I'm not saying that there's nothing going on in Canada. I'm saying the Stanley Cup Finals take precedent over other not really important sports. I'm just sorry. When you lose to the Olympic trials, I'm sorry. Not the Olympics, the Olympic trials. But that's neither here nor there. That's not for me to discuss. By the way, happy Canada Day to everybody. I forgot to mention the Janner. forgot to mention off the top of the show. That's the reason why I got my Bob and Doug McKenzie shirt on right now here in the studio. I got, my, of course, my Canada mug as per usual. Pooh Bear's got his Toronto Maple Leafs mug. And I have a Canada hat over there, but obviously I don't want to have it on the show here. I got Wayne Gretzky hanging up here behind me as per usual here in the studio, but let's get to, by the way, I was going to say, uh, you can always catch the replay of, of this show on YouTube, the Kuehl Show YouTube channel, and your favorite podcatcher as well. Everywhere you catch World Hockey Report, you catch them right next to the Kuehl Show as well. So game three tomorrow night, I don't think there's any more important game. Like it's game seven. It is game seven for the Montreal Canadiens. They cannot lose. And, you know, it's funny. I was right before the show. There was what's the greatest comeback in Seneca Finals history. And I said 1942 when the Toronto Maple Leafs came back from a 3-0 series deficit against the Detroit Red Wings. That is the biggest and greatest comeback in playoff hockey history. And I don't want this whole thing. Oh, it was an older, different game back then. That's why when Philadelphia did it in 2010 or when L.A. did it in 2014. No, 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 kids. They did it in the finals, did the Leafs. Yes, I get it. It was in black and white. The Leafs haven't won a cup when you take pictures and colors. Shut up. My point is this. You can't come back from a 3-0 deficit against the Lightning. Montreal needs to win tomorrow night. And to what I kind of pertain there with Cody, they need to score first. They have not done it yet this series. And believe it or not, guys, if I'm not mistaken... This is the first time that they have gone back-to-back games without scoring first in this postseason. I've, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. If, uh, that's got to be somewhat correct because I'm pretty sure that's true just because of the fact that they have scored first in 13 of the now 19 games they have played in the postseason. They are 11-2. and two. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When they score first, they need to do it again. It is imperative that they do. A, because, yes, it's only 3,500 there at Santorbel, but they need to keep that crowd buzzing the entire time. And a goal early on in that first period is would be vital and imperative that they want to get a win tomorrow night. They need to start off strong. They need to start off fast, start off hard if they want to find a way to come back. Because if they don't, well, kids, we're going to have that whole hockey thing. We got this great story that are the Montreal Canadiens and four straight against the defending Stanley Cup champs. Yes, would it be great to see a back-to-back with Tampa? Yeah, it's always great to see a back-to-back, show a team that can win in this kind of an era, in the salary cap era. Would it be great then because more folks can cheer on their Tampa Bay Lightning than, the, you know what, if Montreal wins one, then they can win game five at home. I don't know, but, you know, it'd be awesome story for Tampa to, to celebrate the champion 
they, unlike when they were able to last year. Yet, you, you want to see Mont- you want to make this a series first of all. I'm sure that's what the Canadians are saying. And something that Janner mentioned there as well was the fact that Dominic Ducharme is back behind the bench. COVID protocol, 14 days done. He will be on the bench tomorrow night for game three. Now, I don't know if that'll make a huge difference because the Habs under Luke Richardson played pretty good. He was there when they clinched the semifinal series against Vegas. was there for the first two games of the Stanley Cup final. They played a good game, too. They doubled up for goodness. Well, almost doubled up. Shots are 43-23. They outshot him by 20. Did Montreal Canadiens over Tampa last night? So if I'm pretty sure that's what's in the back of everyone's mind, it's like Montreal played a really good game, but they had two bad bounces, and Vasilevsky played like Vesnalevsky, which is kind of bad because he didn't win it this year, but he's won it before. There you go. So now I wonder what do they need to do differently? Yoel Armia had a great game. The penalty kill was pristine for Montreal, but to that token you got to stay out of the box simply because of the fact that it's hard to generate scoring chances when you're on the penalty kill, because albeit while they did a good job on the PK last night, did Montreal against Tampa, Tampa kept the puck in the Montreal zone quite a bit, or at least they were able to get it in. Montreal was not able to really get any offensive opportunities. They still have the most shorthanded goals among any team in the postseason due to the Montreal Canadiens. However, you don't want to take chances against Tampa because as soon as you get guys going up the ice, you get a turnover, Tampa comes back in, bang, boom, the puck's in your back of your net. So they want to play smart defensively. That's what they did last night. They have to do it again, but more five-on-five five is what Montreal is going to need to do if they want to find a way to win tomorrow night and get back in this series. We'll take a quick break, folks. When we come back, we will discuss some news and notes from the last couple of days. And also, I'll give you my take on the awards. The awards. We talked about Adam Fox. I'll give you my take on why it's kind of dumb. We'll come back with more of the Keel Show right here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back to the Keel Show, everyone. Tyler Keel here, the insider of the insiders. Happy Canada Day to all of our folks north of the border. Celebrating, and I celebrate a little bit earlier. My Timbits. I will say this, though. A little bit of a bummer in the Kuehl household. Former co-host Alex Kuehl and I, for the last... Gosh, I think we did one in 2018. For the last three years before this year, we had done a Canada Day Classic. A golf, little golf showdown. A head-to-head showdown. And uh, I've won the last two, for sure. The first year, I think we played at Graceville. We didn't really keep score. But... Because that's how bad we were. And, but usually we have it on Canada Day. But unfortunately, I work in the morning now and he works at night now. So it doesn't really work out for us. But we are going to play Saturday. So we may do some fun stuff on Instagram for you kids at the Cool Show on Instagram, by the way. Maybe on my personal at TJKU29 as well. You can see right there on the screen on 12 Ounce Sports. Of course, if you're listening on your favorite podcatcher tomorrow on Friday, I'm sorry. But. There will be a Kennedy Classic. It will not be at the usual course we played at. It's called the uh, Maple Hill Golf Course. Because, uh, hey, Maple Hill, Maple Leaf. Unfortunately, that course is always packed on a Saturday. So we're going to go play at a course at nearby Grand Valley State University. It's called the Meadows. Always driven by it. Always wanted to play it. Found a good deal for Saturday morning. And thought, perfect, we got it. So that's what I'm doing on Saturday. Hopefully not reeling from a 3 nothing deficit for the Montreal Canadiens, though. However, it could possibly happen. Let's get to some news that happened this week. A couple of signings worth mentioning. I didn't get to it on Monday, but Wayne Simmons coming back for another year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He signed a two-year deal, averaging nine hundred grand per year, so a $1.8 million contract. This coming after one year of playing for $1.5 million. So he doesn't get a raise technically, but you know what? He kind of realized, hey, this is a good hockey team. This team is good. They need cap space, so he's taking it. Still nothing on the Zach Hyman front yet, kids, but it's sounding good from my sources, but nothing set in stone as of yet. Also, a contract that was signed, Ryan Nugent Hopkins signing a big contract. You talk about big bucks for a guy that's maybe your second-line center or your first-line winger, depending on what day of the week it is. 
Ryan Nugent Hopkins. For eight years, he's off the board now on CatFriendly.com, $5.125 million. No move clause as well. Oh, boy. You know, I... You like keeping the depth around, and Nuge has been probably one of the only quote-unquote depth pieces that you've seen for the Oilers now for the past couple of seasons. So it's not a bad move, and yes, by the time maybe towards the end of the contract, the cap will go up, so maybe that 5.125 won't look miserable. A couple things worth mentioning. On years 5, 6, and 7, not 8th year, but 5, 6, and 7, $2 million, $2.5 million, $1.25 million signing bonuses. So Pretty much meaning that if Nuge really starts to tail off and he waves his no-move clause, where he can probably give you a list of teams. Obviously, it's not a no-trade clause. It's a no-move clause. But the Oilers could wait till after July 1st, give him his couple million dollars, and trade him away to a team that would only have to pay a chunk of his contract. So, long story short, it's a weird contract breakdown. I'd say it's back-heavy, but... It's like 5, 5.25, 6.25, 6.254, which is the first year of a signing bonus, which gives him $6 million one year. It's a whole wonky thing. But the AAV, most importantly, is 5.125. You know, he's been a solid player. He was 35 points this past season, 61 in a little bit of a shortened year back in last season. Eight points in those four playoff games, by the way, when they were knocked out by the Chicago Blackhawks in the qualifying round. 69 points, nice, 82 games in 18-19. So he's been getting better. He's still a very key piece of this Oilers team, so that's why they're going to want him for a long period of time. We'll just have to wait and see, though, how long that consistent production goes for Nuge, the former Red Deer Rebel, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And a couple of other moves. We had a trade today. Victor Arvidsson going to the Los Angeles Kings. Kind of a big move because of the fact that, well, it's maybe showing the signs of the times in Smashville. Maybe the possible, you know, rebuild? Rebuild? Is that a thing in Nashville? We thought maybe, you know what, they struck to the playoffs. It's going to be great. You Then again, I'm sure David Poe realized, hey, we had this goaltender, this really hot young kid named UC Saros. He pretty much dragged him there, really gave them a chance in that series against Carolina, and that was about it. So now you wonder... What's the plan moving forward? Well, what do they get from Los Angeles? They get a 2021 second-round pick and a 2022 third-round pick for Victor Arvidsson. Now, let me see if I can confirm that those picks are Los Angeles's. And that one is... And, yep, both are Los Angeles's. So, coming up in this year's draft, Nashville will have their first, their second, LA's second, their own third, their own fourth, Colorado's fourth and a fifth and a sixth. Their seventh they got rid of back in the summer of 2019. Where is it? Where did it go? I lost it. Hold on a second. I had to go to Cap Friendly here. Okay, that was traded for Connor Ingram. Well, I mean, seventh round pick, so it doesn't really mean too much, but I just been like, wow, that's what you give up a pick for, Connor Ingram. But then again, yeah, I mean... Connor Ingram is pretty much as a minor league goaltender and I guess worth the seventh round pick if you need him. But so Arvidsson going to Los Angeles, LA, you know, they were a team despite the West seemingly pretty top heavy for the most part, which deservedly it was. LA was kind of in there for a couple, couple weeks. They were in the round of the playoff spot, creeping up there towards the top three, believe it or not, before eventually tailing off and going back down in the lottery situation. So I, I like where they're at. Los Angeles, they add in a guy like Victor Arvidsson who just hasn't really been able to find consistency. But then again, the Preds haven't either as a whole. So maybe he'll get a fresh start there. And you know what? Nashville may be heading in that direction where they're looking at moving things around. And now, do I say this is a team that could do a quick retool? I don't know. I can't say anything. But that's all we know regarding Victor Arvidsson and the Nashville Predators. Now, the Kind of a cool story. We'll get to the coaches, coaches here in just a moment and the wards here in about, eh, about five minutes or so. Jonathan Taves, back on the ice with the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, I don't have the disease, the, the virus that he had right in front of me, but give me a second here. Let's see if I can quick pull it out here. Because when I heard about it, because 
that was the big story that Jonathan Taves was out. And I remember everyone, I don't want to say they were panicking, but everyone was very confused when he just didn't show up to camp, didn't want to play. And, you know, with the, the I don't say the fluidity of everything or transparency in today's game, but a lot of, you know, you kind of find these things out. But we learned that Patrick Kane, I think Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton, I don't know, maybe Colleton was involved, but there was only a few players that knew what was going on. A few people within the organization knew what was going on with Jonathan Taves. So that said, let me see if I can go back to the article here from The Athletic. I had to quickly try to log in while I was talking there. And let me just refresh the page here. There we go. Uh, he had, let's see if I can find it. I have to scroll down a little bit here. He, do, do, do. he had, so the thing was he had an illness. He felt awful. His immune system was shot. Oh, darn it. I had it right in front of me. I thought I did. Hmm. Okay. So long story short, Jonathan Taves, he felt fatigued. He felt this, you know, he didn't feel the best. Oh, here we go. It was chronic immune response syndrome, which, according to the Athletic, is an unspecific diagnosis from his two doctors. And pretty much what it does is it drains your body. Your immune system just sort of fails. And so he couldn't recover, couldn't be healthy. Therefore, even in a shortened season, couldn't really play. So it's good to see him getting back. It sounds like he's going to be healthy for next season, which is why he took this year off, which is important. Good to see him back on the ice. We'll see how he does on the ice. Obviously, Chicago is a team that, you know, it seems like they're in a little bit of a transition as well. They were a team that was kind of sort of towards that central division battle before they started to tail off. Maybe a little bit of lack of depth hurt them there. And now we're getting word that Duncan Keith wants to go to the Northwest because he has a kid up near BC and he wants to be closer to home, whether it be left open for Seattle, get traded to Vancouver, what have you. Long story short, Duncan Keith is going to be moving out of Chicago here soon. And Elliot Freeman says the Blackhawks want to do that. They want to do right by him because Duncan Keith, who is going to be a Hall of Famer, he is one of the best defensemen. He's a Conn Smythe Trophy winner, for goodness sakes. I'm excited to see what they do for Duncan Keith and where he ends up. Coaching talk here. Don Granado, the interim tag. This was before Monday's news. Unfortunately, we didn't, couldn't get to it. It's so much other stuff to talk about. Donnie Granado staying the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. This coming after they ripped the interim tag off. There were, you know questions on who it could be, who possibly could take the job. And it just seems like Kevin Adams says, you know what? The boys are playing for you, Granado. They played a little bit better down the stretch at Buffalo. Obviously not good enough to really turn around the disaster that already was the first half of the season. However, there's a little bit of sign of the times and maybe Granado, similar to a Jeff Blaschel or Jim Blaschel situation, Jeff Blaschel, <laughs> Jim Blaschel, Jeff Blaschel situation in Detroit, it's more or less, hey, you know what? We're not going to be good. We're probably going to, you know, falter. We may not make the playoffs for a couple more years. Let's just keep you around, keep the kids developing, and we'll get better, and we'll see what happens in a couple of years. So Don Granado is still going to be the coach for the time being. Kind of the bigger news, Andre Tourney named the eighth head coach in the history of the Arizona Coyotes. This one kind of came out of left field for me, However, as we learned the last couple of days, there were discussions previously between Arizona management, Bill Armstrong, and Andre Tourney. So, I mean, yes, we've said what we said before on the show about the Coyotes and their organization as a whole, and Katie Strang's great article about them. Uh, the art, the they're a they're a family, as Peyton Turnage likes to mention every time we t- bring them up on the show. However, I'm really interested to see what happens here. Tourney is a great coach, long junior hockey experience, coached a lot, coached Rand Naranda back in the day, a lot in the QMJHL, became a very successful coach over the past few seasons with the Ottawa 67s in the OHL, got them to the 2019 OHL Finals, which he kind of pertained to with Nick Suzuki and the Guelph Storm. Back-to-back 50-win seasons, obviously not last year because of the COVID thing, and Ontario was a whole can caboodle and a half, but he's also done well with really good players. I.e., uh, 
the 2020 World Junior Championship with Team Canada, won gold medal, beating Russia last year, falling short to the Americans, but back-to-back medals, back-to-back championship game appearances with Turney behind the bench. He has NHL experience in his back pocket, assistant coaching jobs, albeit. Coached two seasons with the Colorado Avalanche with Patrick Waugh. Was there also for 2015-2016 with the Ottawa Senators. Pardon me, I just got breaking news notification. Okay, sorry. That was, it was completely different. It was a breaking news story that I thought was related to hockey, but it was not. And so anyways, back to the story at hand. This is a hockey club that went from, hey, this team could do something in last year's playoffs to, oh boy, they can't seem to really get anything going consistently falling out to the St. Louis Blues. And we saw how that went against Colorado in round one this year. The talent's still there. There seems to be a disconnect because Connor Garland seemed like sounds like his offer or what he wants to get in his next contract sent to Arizona uh, doesn't sound like it was received. And I seriously mean received. Like Frank Saravelli reported it the other day saying that Arizona, there, excuse me, from according to Connor Garland's agent through Frank Saravelli, there has been no communication on a contract extension for Connor Garland, which is shocking given the fact that Connor Garland is not just not one of the best players on the team, but one of the rising stars in the league. And as I go to his, yep, he is an RFA. So this sounds like it could be a trade involved for Connor Garland. Now, yes, this would imply that they trade him and the team would have to want to sign him. Now, here's the crazy thing in this. Connor Garland is a is a great hockey player and his value could be high, but if you're a team that sees that you can trade it for a player that doesn't even have a contract, that just shows that the team wants to get rid of him. And you can pretty much lowball the bejeebus out of Billy Armstrong. You could almost fleece him like Kevin Adams was taken away by Don Sweeney. Like that's how bad it could be here for the Coyotes if they don't try to really sweeten the pot somehow. But the question is, if the Arizona Coyotes want to stay competitive, what are you willing to give up? Obviously, you got Clayton Keller signed for a long time. You got one more year of Phil Kessel. Christian Dvorak signed through 2025. Nick Schmaltz is there for 5.85 for another few years. Obviously, Ekman Larson's there for a long time. He's off the board on Cap Friendly. At least Cap Friendly now has like the little arrow that tells you, hey, the contract goes off the board and it goes longer. Yeah, you got Jacob Chikrin, but of course, Arizona has a lot of defensemen they need to sign. They have Jason Demers, who's an UFA, uh, Jordan Nustler, who is a UFA, Alex Goligoski is a UFA, Nick Jalmerson probably won't get re-signed, but they need to add more pieces to the back end. Antti Ranta, one of their goaltenders, an unrestricted free agent, Aiden Hill, who had to play a lot as Kemper, and Ranta kept getting hurt last year. He's an RFA with arbitration rights. Darcy Kemper is your only goaltender as he signed through one more year. So there's a lot to consider here for Arizona. But I'm just saying, if you have an RFA, you can literally sign him and maybe trade him away and get value for it. Or if you try, if you just show that you're trying to give away an RFA, you're not going to get the value that Connor Garland is worth. That's what I'm trying to say here, fans, for all you folks that are Arizona Coyotes fans. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So, as I'm good lord. The AC is supposed to be out in this apartment, but for some reason here in the studio, it doesn't get through. They just have never cleared the vents, I'm pretty sure, in, in our apartment complex since they built this building. So whenever there's sun outside, like I have the shades. I mean, you can see the light coming in through there a little bit, but there are shades over there, and I got the light beaming in on me here. It's just making everything hotter than snot. So let's get to awards talk here to wrap up today's program. So we talked about a few in the past, obviously. Let's go through the ones that we've mentioned before. The Mark Messi leadership war went to Patrice Bergeron. Good. Captain, you know, obviously since the day on Charlotte left and has been a real heart and soul guy for that Bruins team pretty much since he stepped into the Bruins locker room. The Bill Masterton war for Oscar Lindblom overdue, if you ask me. I just think last year he kind of kind of got, I wouldn't say got overlooked, but he got overlooked by Bobby Ryan and Oscar Lindblom, of course, who came back from from cancer and had to fight through that was actually there in the playoffs last year for Philadelphia this year playing a full season was good to see him come back full time 
King Clancy Award for service member for being, you know, service the community. Pecorino gets that award, which is awesome because he may not be a predator next year, but still it's good to see him get recognition he deserves. The Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. We've talked about that. Former NHL goaltender Kevin Hodgson doing some awesome work up in Calgary. The Jim Gregory Award for GM of the Year. Lou Lamorello gets that one with the Islanders. Lady Bing for most gentlemanly for Mr. What was it? Two minor penalty this year, Jacob Slavin. And of course, his head coach, Ronda Brendamore, who got re-signed shortly thereafter. Jack Adams Award winner. And here comes the ones that we didn't really talk about too much. The Selkie Award, which I know happened a while back. We just kept forgetting kept forgetting to get to it. Sasha Barkov gets the Selkie Award. And he's been a guy for the past couple of years. It's been in the conversation for the award for best defensive forward. Unfortunately, just never kind of got the recognition simply because of the fact that he played on a rather subpar Florida Panthers team. Now this team finally makes the playoffs. They finish second in that central division. And all of a sudden, he kind of gets a little bit more notoriety for it. And that's what happens, kids, when you make the playoffs. People forgot that Josie Taylor was a goaltender, but boom, they win the division in 2012. And Jose Taylor is a great goaltender again. Uh, that was not the case at all. As we know, as we found out in, those post, in that postseason, they lost to New Jersey in round one. But, you know... A fun guy to watch. And, you know, we, we mentioned when we talked about Carter Verhage with Todd Little from Little Box Cats on SB Nation. He made a real good point that Verhage, as you know, is a good player, but Sasha Barkov just makes players around him that much better. And he's obviously incredibly reliable in his own zone. He plays well off the puck. He, if he played in a bigger market, now, now that's one of those things. How many players throughout history of the game, could you say, well, if he played in a bigger market, he'd be a better, he'd be more notoriety. He'd be a legend. Sasha Barkov is probably this day and age Marcel Dion. Dare I say it? Because remember Marcel Dion? Well, for those that don't, he only scored over 700 goals in his career. Never won a Stanley Cup. Was part of the Triple Crown line. Him, Dave Taylor, and oh no, I can't. Oh, it's not Charlie Simmer, is it? I think it was Charlie Simmer with those LA Kings teams. Triple Crown Line LA Kings. It was. Come on, where is it? Triple Crown Line, Marcel Dion, Dave Taylor, and Charlie Simmer. I was right. Charlie Simmer. I listen, sorry. Two decent skaters and Charlie Simmer. That, that's a that was that line, the triple crown line in Los Angeles. But that's the thing with Sasha Barkov is that he's really good. And it's just, unfortunately he plays for the Florida Panthers, a team that's not been good for the majority of his career, but he's always seemingly been a guy that's consistent and consistently good as well. Now let's, let's knock out the Calder trophy here. No surprise to anyone, despite Jason Robertson for the Dallas stars, having a great year, Kirill Kaprizov. My goodness, if there's a guy that bursts onto the scene harder than Gabriel Caprizov for the last couple of years, I don't know who, because it's not just the fact that he led the NHL in rookie scoring with, let me look at it, 51 points. So almost a point-a-game player in his first, albeit abbreviated, full season in the NHL, first season in the NHL. 27 goals, which also was most among all rookies. But it wasn't just that. It was the fact that you noticed him. Guys put up 20 goals and they don't realize it. You don't see him kind of on the highlight reel. But Kirill Kaprizov is fun to watch. He's entertaining. And dare I say it, made the Minnesota Wild of all teams fun to watch. I like to keep in tabs on him, but boy, they were fun to watch this year because of a guy like Kirill Kaprizov injecting that excitement into that locker room and into that team. And now you only hope and pray that it continues on. There was rumors that he's going to go back to Russia. I hope those aren't true because... That would suck if Kaprizov does not stay with the Minnesota Wild because he is such a good player, such a fantastic hockey player. But, man, if he whew, if, if he doesn't come back, it, it'll be tough. Apparently, his extension talks have gone cold. That was his last year of his contract. Uh, currently in Siberia right now, I... Wow, this is, it'd be tough if they if Minnesota Wild lost him with his how good as he was. Wouldn't that be just a great flash in the pan, one hit wonder? Man, that that would be that would be interesting to see how bad. Oh, speaking of TikTok, there's a new video 
Commissioner Gary Bettman answered fan questions with TikTok star and Angel Special Advisor Josh Richards. I'm not going to watch that. I'm going to save myself the humiliation. I'm going to go have poutine after this. Uh, just a few minutes left here. Quick to go through. Talk about Vezina with Marc-Andre Fleury. So deserving. I get with Janner and everything about that. Absolutely wonderful. Great. I just realized it wasn't on Instagram Live. It's okay. Nobody would watch anyways. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, but no. Marc-Andre Fleury, third in wins of 26. 2.04 goals against average. 9.28 save percentage. Six shutouts. All of them. Third in the league. The only thing he was not third in, kids, was voting, obviously, because he finally gets his Vezina trophy. Adam Fox for Norris. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I am so, I'm sick of it. I get it. You don't want to go with the easy pick. Victor Hedman, Kale McCarr, either. It's like if Quinn Hughes was picked for the Calder last year. I'm sorry. And, and the crazy part is this. Jeff Merrick made a really good point. On the latest 31 thoughts. It's weird to see a second year guy win the Norris. And he said that. I'm like, but would you have voted for Kale McCarr? Because Kale McCarr, kids, despite being in his third postseason this year, this was only his second full year in the National Hockey League. I would have no problem picking him. I still would have picked Victor Hedman. I would have picked Mackenzie Weger. I would have picked anybody else than Adam Fox. Because that's what I made the point with Cody Jansen. He's a good defenseman. But a good defenseman helps a team win some more hockey games, right? Had the Rangers made the playoffs this year, okay, Adam Foxy probably deserve it. But they didn't. They missed the playoffs. Didn't miss them by, I missed them by quite a bit, too. So that's my point is, if you're going to give an award for a defenseman, that's supposed to protect the goaltender, protect the own zone, and not allow the other team to score. Wouldn't you want to have that, give that to a guy that helped his team not get scored on? Because Adam Fox didn't do that whole lot this year. Yes, was he better than his other peers on his team? Yes, but look who was around him. My goodness. The Rangers defense was awful. That's why they weren't in the playoffs. And, of course, the Hart Trophy and Ted Lindsay Award. Ted Lindsay Award, of course, for the players vote for MVP and the Hart for the overall MVP, Connor McDavid. And uh, nobody is knocking that one darn bit, kiddies. 105 points in a 56-game season. And I think he was averaging, like, what, two and a half points per game like in the last seven or eight games of the regular season. Yes, the playoffs didn't go so well, but these awards are not for playoffs, hence why Connor McDavid was the MVP. The Consumite Trophy is for the MVP of the playoffs. That'll be determined after the finals, so... It's 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 an easy pick there for McDavid. He is the best player in the world. I would still pick Sidney Crosby on my team over him because Crosby knows how to win right now. Anyways, so that is it for this Thursday edition here of the QL Show Game 3, like we said, tomorrow night. You get a clock puck drop in Montreal. Big party outside the building because you can't have a big party inside, according to Quebec health officials. So that'll be an interesting one. Montreal trying to get back in the series. A must-win game indeed for Le Habitant. Make sure you follow us, of course, folks, at The Cule Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And, of course, if you couldn't catch all today's episode, that's fine. Check it out tomorrow on The Cule Show YouTube channel or wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll be back Monday getting you ready for Game 4 because they take Saturday and Sunday off. Be back Monday for Game 4 in Montreal. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, we're not talking about a possible sweep because that'd be kind of boring, right? Nobody wants that. We want to see a full seven-game series here in the Seneca Finals. That's what we need in this world. We need more hockey. I'm Tyler Kuehl, the insider of the insiders, at TJKU29. Be sure to follow us, like I said, at The Kuehl Show. Use the hashtag TKS. We'll see you Monday on The Kuehl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Goodbye!